Good morning, everyone. As we were singing that last song, and thank you to the worship team for really uh, leading us in really wonderful worship this morning. <clears throat> when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless I stand before the throne. That is the hope that we have. That one day, man's greatest problem is not global warming, not nuclear war, not food shortage. It's how does a sinful human being stand before a holy and righteous God? That is humanity's greatest problem. And how is that solved? And it's solved because it says here that we will be dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless I stand before the throne because of what Christ did. It's all based upon what Jesus did and us believing it. And believing it not only up here, but in here and then living it. And that's our great hope that we have. Before we start, let's just <clears throat> ask the Lord's help. Father, you have given us the greatest gift of all, your Son. Lord, you have given us hope. You have given us life. You have given us eternal life, Lord. And Lord, may we never stop praising you and worshiping you in everything we say and do and think, Lord. Lord, now as we open up your word, Father, and we talk about the three witnesses that we have to show us why we have faith in you, Lord, why we believe in your Son, I pray you'd bless our time. Lord, please help me to speak only your truth. Please help those listening to hear only your truth. And Lord, may you have your way with us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing in John, 1 John chapter 5. If you want to turn there to follow along. We have been going verse by verse through this. It's John's book of tests for us to let us know that we are Christians. He gives us the moral tests and he gives us the doctrinal tests to show us that if we believe these things and we exhibit in our lives love for God, love for one another, we exhibit obedience, then as he says in Chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, I'm writing this so you can be sure that you don't have to say, I hope when the lights go out, God doesn't reject me. God doesn't send me to a place where I deserve for all my deeds, but I'm covered with the righteousness of Christ. 
that's assurance, knowing that when you close your eyes, you don't have to fear. You know you'll see the face of Christ, that beautiful, glowing face for all eternity, and feel that love will bask in His love. That's our eternal hope. That's the hope of mankind who has faith in Christ. And may everyone come to that place one day. And that should, that should spur us on and motivate us, shouldn't it? To want to spread this truth. Not only by telling people, but letting them see it. And then when we speak, the power is there. You know, it's one thing to tell people what to do, but when they see you doing it by example, they want to come alongside of you many times. And of course, it's all the work of the Holy Spirit, naturally. And we give God the glory for that. Let's look at chapter 5. And I'm going to be reading from chapter 6 to 12. And today we're looking at, I'm calling it the testimony of God, or you could call it the witness of God. Some of your Bibles may have, your versions may have witness instead of the word testimony. It means the same thing. A witness is one who can give testimony, and one who gives testimony is a witness. So, just so you know, we can interchange those. Some of you might have witness in your Bible. I'm reading from the NIV. It has testimony and testify. And by the way, please notice how many times that word is going to be used here. You're going to see either the word witness or testimony over and over and over again. Verse 6 of chapter 5 of 1 John this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You look at this portion of Scripture, and you see over and over, John is using that about testifying, giving testimony, or being a witness of who Jesus Christ is. Now, if we go back a few verses, let's, if we go back to uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, the same chapter, verse, the end of verse 3. In fact, let's take it from verse 3. I want to read these verses because this, you'll see how that previous John links it now to this he was talking about, well, I'll read it and then we'll look at it. This is love for God to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. Verse 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, 
even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So he's talking about those who overcome the world. We said the world is that spiritual system of evil that, is, of course, is invisible, but it's against Christ. And we see that in, in our society. We see that in business. We see it in politics. Constantly, it's, it's a, an agenda that is against Christ. It's not pro-Christianity. It's not pro-Jesus. These agendas here. And he says the one who overcomes the world is the one who believes in Jesus Christ. Now, when he says only he who believes in Jesus, uh, th that is the Son of God. Now, the next question is, why should we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And John's going to answer that because he's going to say, the reason we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is because we have these witnesses that testify that he is the Son of God here. And we will not get to all three today. I'm going to cut it after one or two of those witnesses so for, for time factor here. But we will, Lord willing, we will continue next week. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, One witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense he might have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Oh, that same idea is in Deuteronomy 17.6. Again, where it says that be a man, before he can be punished for a crime, there has to be two or three witnesses that testify and say, I saw him do it. That is the man. And we know how powerful in a court testimony is. When somebody gives a testimony, you know, and says, I saw him shoot that man. That's powerful. That's very damning evidence towards someone when, when that is brought forward. And God's law says, we don't have one. We need two or three people to say that, to make sure that that person is the guilty party or that person in this case is a witness. And what John's doing is carrying though that Old Testament principle here to saying this is how we know who, who Jesus Christ is. Why we put our faith in Him. Why we believe in Him. Because we have witnesses. People, people or in this case, God Himself who testifies to it. And He already said, and God is, and God is not a liar. And anybody who disagrees with God's testimony, John says, you are a liar. He's very direct, John. He doesn't fool around. I like that in him. So let's, let's look at this a little bit. In fact, just you know, before I do, just to mention, that principle is not only in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament as well, isn't it? Matthew 18, what does Jesus say? If a brother sins against you, he says, go to him and speak to him and see if, you know, if, if he understands what he's did. If not, he says, bring one or two witnesses or brothers with you. Again, that principle of having not just you to do it, but you bring others with you as far as to be witnesses there, to testify. And then in, in uh, I think it's in Second Timothy, if I, might re I recall right, where Tim Timothy, the young pastor, Paul writes to him, and he says, if anyone accuses an elder 
of something. He says that what you need to do, he said, is make sure there are two or three witnesses against him. You know, don't just take the word of one person that is going to accuse an elder of something. He says, you make sure you have two or three witnesses, Timothy, to go by on that account. So that's a principle that goes through the Bible. God is always kept to that principle. Now, let's look at the, the, the scriptures here. We'll dig into them. In verse 6, John says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. Now, the first thing, question which has been through the ages is, what is the water and what is the blood? And the most, I would say, the most soundest argument for that are, is, and the most uh, popular, I would say, among scholars is that the water stands for Jesus' baptism and the blood stands for his death at the cross. And again, and we'll look at it why, because we had John says we have these testimonies, and we'll look at the, the testimonies of those two things. But it's important, John says that this is the one who came by water, he says, and the blood. And let's go back to the idea of the heresies that were taking place. We said it's early Gnosticism, and John makes the point here to make sure we understand that Jesus was not only a man, but he was God as well. And see, those who would just say, well, Jesus came by the water, he was baptized. The problem we have here is that one of, one of the heresies, docetism, that heresy says that Jesus didn't come in a physical body. Now, we'll look at a minute why that's a problem. And then the other heresy that is early Gnostic, it's the beginning of this Gnostic heresy that really bloomed in the second and third centuries, is that Jesus at his baptism was a man. And it was then that the Spirit of Christ came into him, the God Spirit came into him, and lived with him and gave him the ability to perform these miracles and to say what he said so well. And yet, before he was crucified, that Christ's spirit left him. So, what does that leave us with now if we look at that? As far as the atonement, what does that do for us? If Jesus is not man, then his, his, he couldn't be our substitute. We needed a man to be our substitute. If, it's funny because yesterday the men at, at our meeting, we've been going through Psalm 51, and we were talking a little bit about atonement, and that came up. And this same issue came up where in order for an atonement to be effective, it has to have two parts to it. There has to be a substitution, and there has to be also satisfaction. There has to be in the atonement, there was one, Jesus who was the man who took our place. But can a man erase sins by his death? No. Only God 
can erase sin. So Jesus as well was the satisfaction to God's just demands of the law. He was able to satisfy the demands of God's law. So Jesus the man was our substitute, but Jesus the Christ also was able to remove our sins. He took his sins upon him. Man can't do that. Only God can take that sin upon himself like Jesus did. So here we have, so it's so important why John keeps saying that Jesus is the Son of God. We have Jesus the man, but the Son of God means he was deity as well. He was all God and he was all man. And that doctrine, if it is not intact, means that we're not forgiven, basically. Then the cross was powerless. If Jesus was just a man taking our sins, what power is there in that? And if he was just God, then he wasn't a substitute for us. But he was the God-man. That's why the, the cross is the most, how can you put it, incredible. Man couldn't think this up to get where God would carry out his justice and yet we would receive forgiveness in it. That's the cross. That's why the cross, we never lose sight of the cross because that was our only hope. That was the only way we could ever get right with God. We could never, through the law, a man cannot be justified. We know that. So it was the only way it could be done. And Jesus did it. And these heresies, like docetism and serinthianism, these heresies destroy the atonement. They're heretical. They don't allow the atonement for our, for our salvation. It's ineffective. And so John is defending this because he knows if that doctrine is not right, people, and you know, it's funny because Jehovah's Witness came to my house this week. And a couple ladies, very pleasant, they always are, they pull up, you know, she pulled up and she said, hi, she says, oh, you look busy right now. I was taking something out of my car and I said, yeah, I am a little bit. And she said, uh, well, I'd like to give you some, I just, I won't take your time, but I'd like to give you some of our books and booklets and things. And I said, uh, you're from Jehovah Witnesses, right? And I said, uh, no, thank you. And she said, oh, you don't, you don't want to look at me? I said, no, I, and and some of you might disagree with my approach, but I said, no, I'm sorry. I said, because you believe in a different Jesus than I do. I said, we don't believe in the same Jesus. And she said, oh, you mean there's different Jesuses? She wanted to engage in a thing. And I just said, uh, yeah, there are. I said, you, you believe in a different Jesus. And she said, oh, okay, have a good day, have a good day. But you take, they're called Jehovah Witnesses. That's a lie. They're the furthest thing from Jehovah's Witness. They're the devil's witness. And I'm, gonna, and, and I'm saying it, and you might feel, ooh, that's a little bit harsh. Their doctrine of Jesus is heretical. Their whole doctrine is their founder, Judge Rutherford, he, he, he's nothing but an agent of Satan, he was, for, for coming up with this thing, because people are following this, and they don't have the right Jesus. If you don't have the right Jesus, you're in trouble. Then you don't, their view of Jesus, and just, 
just so you understand that, I mean, and I, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to take, I don't want to take time on this, and I'm going to lose the text, but I mean, they believed that Jesus was an angelic being, and then God brought him and made him a human being, and Jesus the whole time was a human being here. And then he died on the cross. He was never resurrected. His, his physical body was never resurrected. In fact, they believe their doctrine that in a millennial period that they're going to take his body, that God will take his body and display him. I'm not making this up. You can look it up and put it in a museum for everyone to look at. I mean, this is their, their, their warped doctrine that they have. In fact, they believe that after, then after that Jesus died, that the heavenly spirit went up to heaven and God made him into an angel again. And now he's living an angelic life up in heaven. And I think he's, he's called Michael again. You know, this is, this, is, this is why I say this is out of the pit of hell. They're not Jehovah Witnesses. They're not witnesses for Jehovah. They're, they're witnesses for the devil. Their father is the devil. And they might not... I'm not saying that they, some of those people, they're lost. They don't know. You know? And we need to... And I, I try to talk to them in a one-on-one -on -one situation outside of when they're on their campaign and their agenda. Because when they're on their agenda, they're, they're, you know, they're in the, 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 the aggressive mode to just, they're going to pile on me everything. No matter what I say, they're going to come back with their own, their own speech. So I don't, I, I don't waste time with that. I don't. I wait until I get somebody alone and I, I, I can talk to them personally without them being in that, you know, we're out on the campaign to you know, evangelize. So anyway, uh, John says here, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only. He wanted to make this clear because, see, it's important that, that one belief was that the Spirit of Christ, the God Spirit, came upon him when he was baptized. But he says, not only the water, but the blood. Because when he was crucified, that means that that God spirit went back up. So the atonement had no power to save sins. So this is why he's emphasizing. And you'll notice John says many times in this, and in his gospel too, he says, Jesus Christ came into the world. He says, in other words, the God-man, he was the God-man who came into the world. He wasn't changed in a God-man for a temporary time and then changed. And you'll, you'll see that, and I won't, I won't take that today, maybe next week I'll give you some verses to show you that he keeps saying came, like John says, he came into the world, Jesus Christ. He wants you to know that he was God right from the conception. He was the God-man all the way through and to his resurrection. He never lost that. Okay, now... He says, and it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. We know that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And the Bible tells us that God cannot lie. God is the author of truth. He would never lie. He can't. It's against, he would, it would be against his very nature. He is truth. Truth does not lie. So, and John's just confirming this. Remember, he's writing to people who have been confused. They're not sure if they're saved or not. And he's going through these, these 
these doctrines here to make sure that they're solid, that they understand what's happening here. You know, John spent three years with Jesus. He spent 40 days after his resurrection, and Jesus told him about the kingdom. John has his theology down here better than anybody, you know. But these people, not all of them do, and he's trying to reinforce this as he says this. And then he says, for there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. All right, let's look at this for a minute. Let's look at the idea of the water. Why John says he came by the water and the water testified. Now remember, when he's saying there's three that testify, he's, he's personifying water and blood. He's describing, he's using them as if they were people almost, that they're talking. But you'll see the, the, the water and the blood they actually speak to us when we look at the circumstances and see here. So the first thing I want, I'd like you to do is go to Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at what happened at the baptism. How does the water testify that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, let's look at verse 13. Verse 13 in Matthew 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John the Baptist, naturally. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Well, think about this. John's... John knows, John identified him, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, in 1 John. So John, he's looking, he's saying, this is God. John knows why he came to be that forerunner for Christ. He understands he's the one who's preparing that way from Isaiah chapter 40. He knows his mission. He knows Malachi. He knows he's that Elijah that's going to come before the Messiah. And he sees Jesus, and Jesus says, John, I want you to baptize me. And Jesus is going, oh, I'm sorry, John. Jesus said, John, I want you to baptize me. And, and John says, Jesus, you should be baptizing me. I'm the sinner. I'm the one. You're the sinless son of God. You, how, how can you? And Jesus, look what he says. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. God wanted John to be baptizing these people. That baptism was a sign. For them. It was a baptism of repentance. Jesus didn't need to repent of anything. But he says, we're going to fulfill all righteousness. I'm identifying with man. Jesus the man says, I need to fulfill all righteousness. This I am a sinful man, even though he was without sin says here and when you look at this it's it's you know Jesus Romans 10 4 it says that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law Jesus came to fulfill the law he came to fill it to the full especially when you read the Sermon on the Mount and you see Jesus takes the law and he brings it to another level they were all looking at it outwardly and Jesus took that law and he put the real intent of it he says, no, it's not just what you do on the outside. God wants it in your heart. 
he says, and he brings it up to that level. He fills it full. He fulfills the law. And in verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and lighting on him. Now remember, it doesn't say the Spirit was a dove that came on him, because sometimes, you know, I, I can remember seeing pictures of Jesus being baptized, and you see this white, feathery like dove flying down from heaven. And I mean, that's a, he's trying to make a point of how it represented how it looked, but you notice he says, descending like a dove. John the Baptist wasn't sure you know, how to describe this. You know, it's like when John, the, the apostle, is in Revelation and he's looking at these visions. He's saying, I saw, I saw one who looked like. I saw a, a, a throne that looked like. Because he couldn't describe it. And he's, he's trying to describe, but somehow he saw some kind of physical, he saw something visually come lightly down on Jesus, which I wonder with John the Baptist how that must have been. Because John, picture the fiery preacher that he is. I mean, John would look at the people and go, you brood of vipers, you snakes. He looked at the Pharisees and called them snakes. That's, power, that's pretty powerful preaching when you're looking at people and calling them snakes. You know, he says, you brood of vipers. You know, who warned you of the coming wrath? It's, this is, the type of preacher John was. And he said, in fact, he says, I, I only baptize with water, he says, but the one who's coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So I wonder, John's looking, I wonder if that, this is just personal, you know, conjecture a little bit looking, but I wonder if John was a little bit like, whoa, you know, he was picturing like there should be fire, you know, when, when the Holy Spirit's c coming on Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit came on him. That doesn't mean Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit before that. Who is Jesus? He's God. He's the God-man. Jesus always had the Holy Spirit in him. He's God. But this is, you know, you think of the Old Testament that the Spirit comes upon him. It empowered Jesus. Jesus already had the Holy Spirit. But, so why didn't he do that? Because he held back. He emptied himself. He restrained himself from from being God in a sense. You know, he was sinless, but he took all his divine privileges and set them aside. Philippians chapter 2. He emptied himself, the kenosis. Where he emptied himself, he didn't empty himself of being God, but he emptied himself of all his privileges to be able to use all his powers so he could be subject to, subject, subject to God, to God's coming as a man and not using them and live his life as a man. But so the Spirit comes on him here. It says, now look, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Where's the witness of the water? We see it when the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus and John sees this. And he says, he saw heaven open and the Spirit comes on him. And then he says, afterwards, there was this voice. He says, a voice from heaven. Here is the water. In a sense, John is saying the testimony of the water of the baptism 
are these things, these supernatural acts that are taking place. This is giving testimony that Jesus is the Christ. Look, this is no ordinary man. I can see the Holy Spirit coming on him, and then the heavens open up, and he says, I hear this voice. No. Now, we have a few minutes. Let's, let's look at the, the, the blood. Can you go to Matthew 27? When John is talking about witnesses, he's saying there's one witness, the, the, the water. The water is witnessing these things by these events that took place. And I'll try to go through these fast here and we'll wrap it up for today. So if you look at verse 45, now Jesus is on the cross. He was crucified about uh, 9 o'clock and he's on the cross. It's the sixth hour. That means it's noontime. It says... In verse 45 of Matthew 27, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. Now that darkness, the way it's written, it was a supernatural darkness. It was a thick darkness. Think of Egypt, the plague of darkness in a sense, when on the Egyptians, when Moses, you know, God had Moses, you know, again, curse the land there and a darkness comes. Well, this is... This is a supernatural darkness. So there's this supernatural darkness, the first thing that's taken place. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a, a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus felt that separation from the Father. Picture, Jesus had taken the sins of mankind upon him. That meant every lie, every theft, every murder, every rape, every abuse you could ever imagine, every most, the most hateful things a person could ever do, that was on Jesus Christ. He was sinless, but those sins were transformed. He was, at that moment, Christ was the most hideous thing in the universe. There was nothing more ugly and hideous than Jesus Christ at that point. He carried every sin of the world here. How, you know, picture one person, then picture millions of people, all those sins, and God the Father just separated himself from Christ at that And how symbolic all this is. You know, you think about when Jesus talks about, and in the, in the Old Testament too, about being cast outside of the camp, put in outer darkness like this. And here, this darkness, you picture representing God turning his face. Think about the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. You know, when God is looking at you with favor, the light of his Shekinah and beauty of his face is on you. And when he turns away from you, what takes place? Darkness. Darkness picture is, is the absence of that Shekinah glory of God here. And he says, when some of those standing there heard this, they cried, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, got a sponge. Let's uh, skip that for time. And it says, verse 50, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And just one thing, I can't ignore that. Okay, Jesus made it clear in John he said that nobody takes my life. He says, I lay down my life and I take it up again. In John chapter 10, when he's talking about the good shepherd, he says, I lay down my life, he says. 
No man takes it from me, and I, I take it up again. Jesus talking about that. He was in control. He, man, didn't, man didn't kill Jesus. Jesus gave up his spirit himself. He did. Man carried out the act, but no one took Jesus' life. When Jesus knew it was time, that's when he gave it up. And at that moment of the at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Picture that. There, that curtain was this thick veil, this thick curtain inside the temple, covering that little back room there where only the priest could go once a year, where the Ark of the Covenant was held, with the with inside were the commandments, and Aaron's staff that budded, and a jar of manna. And that represented, there is where the presence of God would come down on the Day of Atonement. The, the priest, the high priest, after he had made atonement for his own sin by, by sacrificing to make sure he could, he could not be in there if, his, if he had one sin upon him, if, it hadn't been, if he hadn't taken care of that cleansing that God had prescribed for that. He comes before that ark and he takes and he pours the blood on the mercy seat that covering of to, for the sins of Israel for that year. And here, that curtain separated because there was a separation. The people could not go before the presence of God. Only the high priest could one time a year like that. But what did Jesus do? When he died, that veil was torn in two. And who did it? God did it. It says it was torn from the top. Nobody was strong enough. Even Arnold Schwarzenegger, they take phone books and stuff. He couldn't rip that material. It was thick that they made this thick curtain there. And it was too high for any man to reach up. And it's torn in two. And what has happens there? Now man has access to God. The priesthood is abolished at that point. The priesthood is abolished. At that point, there's no need for a priest. What does Hebrews tell us? That we can go boldly before the throne of grace and make our request to God because we have a high priest in heaven who intercedes for us, Jesus Christ. So we don't need anymore to have a priest go to God for us. We go to Christ and He's our intercessor for us. There's no need for that separation anymore between God and man. He broke that down with that absolute I say praise God too with you for that absolutely and and where am I <laughs> where am I'm a finally hit me where am I where am I I'm in the grocery aisle getting cereal I don't know where I am here okay wait just give me a moment to get myself back together here so it must have been a, a, one of those senior moments or something anyway he says here he says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Again, this supernatural act is taking place as Christ dies on the cross. There's these, these supernatural things that happen. There's the darkness. There's the veil tearing in two. The rocks, everything is starting to shake here. It says, the tombs broke open and the body of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Is that a natural event? Does that happen? You ever pass by the cemetery and see things like that? I don't think so. You know, it's, you know, they came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. 
Now watch. Again, now look, when the centurion, picture a Roman centurion. These guys are hardened. These are, these are, many of these guys were cruel people. You know, they were, it was just all about might, the Roman might. You know, it was, we just conquer and crush. And to be a centurion, you had to show that real, the toughestness. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. You want to know what the testimony of the blood is? Well, think about the darkness that takes place. Think about the veil that is turned into. Think about the, the earth shook. Think about the tombs opened up and people came out of them, the holy people. And think about a Roman centurion who can look, probably the, the biggest pagan around, an unbeliever, look and go, surely this man was the Son of God. That's the testimony of the blood. That's the testimony of Jesus' death. John says that all these events and all these things are testifying that Jesus is the Son of God. And we are going to stop. And amen to you too for that. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, we have powerful testimony. And think, the books in the New Testament are what? They're on eyewitness accounts. Think of how an eyewitness is considered in a courtroom. And think about that we have the proof of men like John who could say, I saw him, I touched him, I heard him, I was there. And, this, and, and John the Apostle is saying, we have the evidence we need. You want, you want to know why you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? He's writing to the people. He says, because of the witness of the water and of the witness of the blood. And next week we'll look, Lord willing, we'll look at the witness of the Spirit Himself, of God. And we'll look at the Old and New Testament there. In the meantime, I am done. Could we just pray real quickly? Lord, we just rejoice in You. We rejoice, Lord, that we have a living Savior. That we have one, Lord. You have done everything for us to obtain our salvation, Lord. We are grateful and we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.